Hey everyone, welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straup. It is Monday, April 25th. NFL Draft Week is upon us. And today, we'll be taking a look at the latest from one of Thorman Eistrom's mock drafts on NBC Sports Edge. Plus, we will be talking to the head of trading for points bet, Jay Croucher, about some of the notable NFL Draft prop bets out there. To start things off, I'm joined by Kyle Dvorak and the aforementioned Thorne Eistrom and Jay Croucher. Before you get rolling, Thor is a draft guy. How do you get through these next few days? I imagine the wait is agonizing for you. What is your technique? In a nutshell, I'm just happy that draft week is here. It's been harder to get through the last couple of weeks. I'm thrilled the draft week is here finally. Jay, official check in with you. How are you holding up? What's what's morale like for you right now? Yeah, well, Thor's really happy about draft week being here. I couldn't be less happy about it. It's uh, <laughs> one of the worst weeks for uh, for a sports book. All these markets moving around. I know we'll talk about it, but the Trayvon Walker thing is just ridiculous. Uh, and that's kind of you know what we're expecting. I've uh, got a lot of reps in with this last year, in particular with all the, the Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields chaos. And uh, yeah, this draft looks like it's going to be even more wonky. So uh, plenty going on. Kyle, we've got two two extremes here, enthusiasm and please make this end. Where do you land on the spectrum? I think I'm probably right in the middle because like from a content perspective, I fall on the Thor side of there's like, I'm not putting out content the day of the draft, the morning before the draft, right? So I'm done. Like my my work is all wrapped and the stuff I'm putting out this week, I've had it in the bag for a week or so. So that is very nice. It's the calm before the storm. But then I work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the draft. So I get a, a nice week where I get to see my family for a little bit. And then I go at least five days where I work every day, all day. And so then I fall on the J side of that. Okay. Well, Jay, we're going to try to pick your brain here for a few minutes. We're going to go around the room, throw some questions at you. We want to look at some of the top prop bets out there for the NFL draft. Let's start with one of the top quarterback prospects on the board. That's, of course, Malik Willis. How hard was it to settle on a draft position for Willis? And why do you think 12 and a half is the right line? Yeah, it's tough. Tough year with uh, quarterbacks in the draft. It's much easier when you have years like last year where it's like, all right, Lawrence is going one, Wilson's going two, someone's going three. But yeah, this year is a mess. Um, right now, like you said, we have Willis at 12 and a half. He's over under. It opened at nine and a half. There was some buzz that maybe the Panthers at six might look at him, but that has definitely faded. Uh, all the sharp money is betting on over. Uh, and so... We've gone out to 12 and a half. And at this point, we think the most likely team to draft Willis are the Steelers. Uh, so they're plus 260 to draft Malik Willis. And then after that, you have Carolina, Seattle, and Atlanta. But even with the Steelers, like plus 260, that's not much more than a 30% chance we think that he goes there. So, or even less than a 30% chance. So the Malik Willis and the really the quarterback market in general for this draft is, uh, is a mess. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And Will, this is really what we alluded to before, is that I thought Malik Willis was was live and still is live to go at number two to the Lions on a very obvious spot for a quarterback. People say he's kind of a raw prospect, right? Really didn't play at high level of competition at Liberty. That's perfect. They have Jared Goff for another year. And Jared Goff is good enough to not get you completely embarrassed, although it wasn't great last year. But now it looks like, and you can tell me what the process, I want to know what the process is like behind this. We had all of the Trayvon Walker steam last night come into where he is now the favorite to go 101. But most teams I thought, and I still kind of believe this, had Aiden Hutchinson as their 101 on their big boards, right? So now I think there's even maybe a slightly less chance that we get Malik Willis at two because we have Aiden Hutchinson as available to them, likely, it seems that way, at two. What's the process like 
of you getting to what are we like four, four days out and for weeks we've had the same 101 and it's been pretty heavily in favor of Hutchinson then the trickle comes in uh, of Walker coming up and up and really what was last night like for people it's Sunday night right what is Sunday night like where all of a sudden like all the books move into the favorite how does that happen yeah so really it's just an, an avalanche of money coming in on Trayvon Walker. And that's just a lot of information that's being leaked. Um, but it often is, it's difficult to find out, you know, what's real and what's not. Is it, you know, one dude get it saying that he'd heard from a friend that someone texted related to the Jags that Trayvon Walker's the guy, or is it someone moving off of a mock draft? Um, it's very difficult to, uh, to sift through and find out, you know, what is real uh, and what's not. Um, but this, the Trayvon Walker's theme, it does appeal, appear real at this point. There are a lot of factors that suggest that, that Trent Balke is, is obsessed with, with Walker. Uh, I don't understand it at all. Uh, he seems like the consensus is he's probably the third best edge rusher uh, in the class for a team that you know needs help on the edge, but also needs help on the offensive line. And there's a couple of stud prospects there too. But you know, at this point, uh, it's not who we think should go number one. It's who we think will go number one. And and Trayvon Walker, uh, at this point, ridiculous as it is to say, given that he was barely on the board six weeks ago, yeah, he's, he's the most likely. Uh, and it's not just like he's minus 120 now. now. Right now, he's out to minus 176. So we think that he's a pretty good bet. And then after that, uh, it seems like pretty much a lock that Aiden Hutchinson would go second uh, if Walker goes first. Thor, you got the floor here. You want to throw a question Jay's way? Well, I, Jay, I'm curious. With the other quarterbacks... Outside of Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, where, where do you think he's going right now? Yeah, so Pickett's an interesting one. Uh, right now we make Carolina the favorite to take him at plus 155. But again, that is a clear underdog, so not a huge degree of confidence uh, in that. And then after Carolina, you're looking you know, at the obvious quarterback needy team. So Pittsburgh plus 375, New Orleans plus 400, Atlanta plus 500. Uh, but really, we have no idea what's going to happen with these quarterbacks. We suspect that, you know, both Willis and Pickett will go in the first round and then you get into really coin flip territory as to whether another quarterback will go in the first round with Desmond Ritter probably the most likely, uh, potentially right at the end of the first round. But yeah, this is the, the weakest quarterback year uh, in a long time and as a result, probably the most difficult to price in a long time as well from our perspective. Switching gears to another position now. Most people don't believe a running back will be drafted in the first round, but Brees Hall, of course, is the odds-on favorite to be the first one off the board. Jay, do you think that's more because of how the NFL is so pass-heavy now, or is it more testament to an underwhelming running back class? I think it's just the direction that the NFL is going. I think the days of Saquon Barkley going, what do they go, second overall? I don't. I just don't think that you're going to see that very often at all. And even seeing you know, Travis Etienne go 25th, even that, it might not happen so much in the future. And I think that, you know, last season was very illustrative of running back value where, you know, by any metric you're looking at, Jonathan Taylor had one of the greatest running back seasons uh, imaginable from an efficiency perspective. And then, you know, you see what happens in the final week of the season against Jacksonville when his line falls apart and the iconic play from that game for Taylor is getting stuffed at the goal line on, on fourth and one where as soon as he gets the ball, he's taken down. And so I think that, you know, that is just the nature of how running backs are perceived. And so Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, expect that they'll be the first two off the board. Brees Hall being the heavy favorite at this point to be the first running back taken, but I uh, wouldn't expect it's going to happen in the first round. 
Yeah, moving to a position, I don't want to say that matters, but it matters more. In the NFL, <laughs> I think we'd all agree that because it affects the passing game, it matters a little bit more. Uh, Sauce Gardner, I find it super interesting that we're not having the discussion around a Power 5 cornerback uh, being the top cornerback, which is extremely mm-hmm. rare. When you look at all the top 10, even just the first-round corners, it is just littered with mostly P5 guys. We're looking at a guy from Cincinnati who is stellar and deserves to be in the conversation. It's just going to be hard to price, hard to figure out where he goes. You guys, I believe, have him at five and a half as of last night, although, as we know, as of last night is not uh, the perfect method. I'm pretty sure it is five and a half. And there are two teams ahead of five and a half, Jets Giants at four five, and then two teams, well, the same team, Panthers, then Giants again at six seven. How do you get to that five and a half line? And is it anyway, like, how do you parse the fact that the same team that could be picking him at what was it four could then or five, I believe, could then again be taking him at six, seven spots. So you have really three teams in contention. One just falls on that line. Yeah. And I think the other thing to mention there is that it's not out of the question that Houston would take him at three as well. Although they seem to have a certain affinity for, for Derek Stingley, which would shake up that market of first cornerback to go first, where right now Gardner is the heavy favorite and then Stingley is second and then it's daylight to the rest of the field. But yeah, he's definitely a guy outside of Trayvon Walker. He's probably the one who has seen his, I guess, betting market stock rise the most in terms of, you know, his over-under shifting where not long ago it was eight and a half. Now it's down to five and a half and he has a ceiling of going, you know, third, I would think is probably um, as high as he could go. But yeah, this is just, you know, it's a lot of mock drafts aligning. It's a lot of sharps betting on Source Gardner to go in those top five picks. Uh, and at this point, with the way it's trending, it would probably be a surprise if he did get past five, unless the Giants are playing a little chicken and, you know, they want to have their first selection kind of a uh, little game theory with Carolina, who they might not think is going to take cornerback, given what they did last year, and maybe taking him at seven. I'd say that's probably the main avenue or path that he could go down in terms of falling. Jay, I had a question for you about an, another defensive back where the, it seems like his stock is going a different way. Kyle Hamilton, that the money that you're seeing on him, where is that going and, and where is the market that you have for him right now? Yeah, well, he's someone who's um, surprisingly and potentially in danger of falling out of the top 10 picks, which you know wouldn't have expected where very early days there were a lot of people thinking that you know he could be certainly a top five pick where the gap between him and every other safety is is just so significant where he's still minus a thousand to be the first safety off the board so huge gap between him and everyone else but at the same time certainly his stock has fallen relative to where it was a month ago a follow-up question jay have you seen any sharp money come in on louis sign being the first safety taken over kyle hamilton no uh not not Potentially the worst look is a long shot. When you're looking at guys falling, they potentially can fall a long way. But still, um, you know, Hamilton, he is a really significant favorite. You know, minus 1,000, that means that we think there's about a 90% chance that he'll be the first safety taken. So still pretty confident that he'll be the first one off the board. Okay, Jay, thanks for breaking this down for us. Good luck getting through what is for you a very grueling week. And we will talk takeaways from Thor's mock draft in just a minute. First, we're going to take a quick break. It is draft week, and we have you covered. Thursday night after round one, we'll be live on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel following the first 
32 picks in Las Vegas. I'll be joined by Warren Sharp, Pat Darty, and rotating analysts from our Edge team to break down all the big storylines from a fantasy and betting perspective. That show will be available in the Bet the Edge and a Good Football Show podcast feeds on Friday morning. Meanwhile, with everyone guessing who is going to go number one in the draft this year, our port- our partners at PointsBet have cooked up a contest that you will not find at any other sports book. The PointsBet Perfect, Den- Perfect 10 presented by Chris Sims. Why Perfect 10, you ask? Because that is exactly what you will need to be perfect in selecting picks 1 through 10 for the draft on Thursday night. And if you are perfect, you can win $100,000 in free bets from PointsBet. Go to pointsbet.com for more info. Okay, guys. Uh, shifting gears a little bit here, Thor, you recently published your mock draft 4.0. We wanted to go through some of the takeaways from that. You have Aiden Hutchinson going first there. And at number two, you have the aforementioned Malik Willis going to the Detroit Lions. So let's start there, Thor. What makes you think the Lions take that leap? Well, I'm going to be changing it uh, on my on my final mock draft here in a couple of days when I publish that one. Uh, it's going to be Trayvon Walker. It appears now okay. with with this team that we've seen last night. I, I was in a I'm in a sharp DM group where last night they were going absolutely ballistic when when that news started to drop. You started to see in in real time that the the odds started to change with you know like a stock ticker just plummeting. You know that the Hutchinson was going the one way, Walker was going the other way. At a certain point, you just can't argue with reality. It seems like the tide has turned that way. It seems like Trevon Walker is going to be the first overall pick. And Kyle alluded to this when we were talking with Jay. Once the equation changes with the first pick being Trevon Walker, the the equation changes for Detroit at number two. It seems like they Mm -hmm. would take Aiden Hutchinson at two. You know, I mean, he's the perfect pick for them. I assume that Aiden Hutchinson would be the first pick or the the, the top player on their board. So I'm probably going to be giving Aiden Hutchinson to Detroit at number two. Yeah, it's super interesting. I totally buy this too. Like this just seems like the reality. And we've seen this in previous years where like the morning of Baker Mayfield going 101, it was super ambiguous up until then. Then it kind of leaked that we were going Baker one. And then we had uh, Zach Wilson where number one's kind of already decided in that draft pretty early on. But we found out that that pick was kind of locked in. I feel like it's a week or two ahead as well. It was pretty far ahead. So I believe this, like the, the betting markets are telling us it, it's pretty obvious that it's not a locked in thing, but it's pretty obvious that Walker should be the favorite. And I do think like if you really think a quarterback is the answer as a top five pick, getting a defensive end shouldn't change the calculus. But if they saw Malik Willis as more of just a high upside shot for a team that needs to achieve some upside, the best thing was probably always for them to kick the can down the road and take a quarterback next year. Maybe this is the final nudge they need to, oh, well, we really get a player we want now at two. We can wait one more year, which I think was probably the right thing to do in the first place. Now, I don't think this changes it a ton, but I'd be even slightly more confident they're not going Willis at two now knowing that they have probably Hutchinson in the bag. And if you're if you're the Lions, you got to be thrilled. I mean, you have to be yeah. celebrating to the gods right now. I don't think they would have taken Trevon Walker either way. So the, the fact that Hutchinson's potentially going to fall to you, you have to be absolutely thrilled. So when you move Willis from two, Thor, to accommodate this, where will you be moving him to? Has that been decided yet? It, it seems like Jay believes that, that he's going to fall out of the top 10. I'm dubious about that. T- players with Malik Willis's tools at the quarterback position do not fall out of the top 10 generally, um, you know, or if they do it, 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 it's not very far out of it. You know, Josh Allen, I think, what, what did he get to 11 or 12? So, I, you know, I, I think if it does happen, there could be a trade up, you know, Pittsburgh, I reported from the senior ball that Pittsburgh liked him a lot. Jay mentioned that, that he's the, the front runner for points bet to, to get him. I could absolutely see Pittsburgh trading up for him. 
I, I think you could see a, a trade-up derby if he does get by Carolina, get by Atlanta, get by Seattle. But those would be the three teams, I think, you know, in the in the top 10. But if he gets by those teams, I think you're going to have a lot of interested trade parties up. Yeah, I don't know if like a team like the Saints wants him or maybe like the Lions at 32 would move up if he falls into the 20s to get him. But we know Pittsburgh has no ability to lie or hide their intentions <laughs> with what they want to do. And we have known for months that they love Malik Willis. So I don't know what other teams are thinking. Like maybe that's the Saints acquiring picks to move up and get Willis. I don't know that. But I do know for sure there is one team that absolutely wants Willis, and that would be yeah. Pittsburgh. And I think they want him so much they would trade up if he fell out of the top even if he fell close out of the top 10, really, I think Carolina is a spot that they're still very live to take him. Although the team there has been like less obvious. I think we're seeing more different quarterbacks go to Carolina in people's mock drafts. But I do think if he makes it past them, that's the point where Pittsburgh starts making calls, start trying to get up to 8, 9, 10 range at a minimum. I mean, I think they're as soon as he doesn't, if it doesn't happen at Carolina, that's when Pittsburgh starts going for him. In a world of smoke screens, isn't as absurd as Pittsburgh's transparency is, isn't it kind of refreshing? Isn't it strangely kind of nice? It's <laughs> honest. You know, they, they shoot straight from the hip. And does that make them better as a franchise? Not particularly. The gamesmanship, uh, like I like the idea of like the Giants and the gamesmanship. Well, who does Carolina want to take? Who does Carolina think we want to take? Pittsburgh doesn't do that. They tell you who they want and then they do exactly that thing. Yeah. We're going through your most previous your previous mock, Thor. We know changes are coming, but looking at 4.0, one of the next picks that jumped out at me coming through it was my hometown team, the Atlanta Falcons, taking the first wide receiver off the board, Jameson Williams. Is this still going to be the call, Thor, and why was it the call in uh, version 4? I, so I, am, I, I do think it's going to be a wide receiver. And as you know, I mean, Atlanta, if, if they don't have the worst receiving core in the league right now, it's Green Bay, but it's one or the other. So I, I do think it's going to be a wide receiver. <laughs> I might be switching that to Drake London. There's been a lot of okay. reports that Atlanta absolutely loves Drake London. I think it's going to be between those two guys, but I might be switching that to Drake London in my next version. Yeah, I like Drake London there. It's dude, Matt, you got to phone someone. This team's terrible with their wide receivers. They're bad at a lot of spots, but man, I mean, like right now, their starting trio is. It would have to be if they didn't take a receiver at all, which they obviously will. But right. it would be like Demir Bird, Olmide, Zacchaeus, and Kaderil Hodge. Like these are players who are like maybe worth being on an NFL roster. Like they're kind of that fringe, yeah. like 48 to 53 type players. That's their starting trio. We have them. Nick Mencio's uh, vacated targets has them top five in vacated targets with well over 200. I mean, come on. And I think based on the skill sets, like Drake London looks like the type of guy, if he hits in the way that you would hope he hits, no guarantee that like, he is that sort of big alpha receiver or Jameson Williams. Mm -hmm. uh, like some teams can totally just see him as doing it all. That's the reason he's getting top 10 buzz. But I do think London is probably higher floor. And like, please, we just need them to get someone who is ready to play week one just for the sake of like putting good football on the field where Jameson Williams obviously is at least not going to be at full strength right away. So uh, I do think wide receiver has to be the pick there. I think I'd go London, although like, it's not like the Falcons are like, we're one week one receiver away from winning football games. So if they think Jamison Williams is the long-term answer, they should not really care about the first five weeks of the season. I would say the Falcons, I mean, yes, bad is a word we could use. I would argue that it's just a void. I mean, you know, like, is it even, is there incomplete even enough there for is the correct answer. Because it's yeah. like we're saying, like, they are using picks on wide receivers. So incomplete is, is the more appropriate way yeah. to put it, I think. Thor, one question I have about London that I haven't gotten a chance to ask you yet is, you know, we know he's kind of that sort of go up and get it, like post up. He's got that skill set. What do you think of his like run after catch ability? Can he be that guy too in the NFL? 
For sure. And and one thing I would say about him, I, I think he's gotten knocked too much for the, the athleticism thing. I, I think it was just because he didn't get a shot to prove it. He's faster than people think in a straight line. Mm-hmm. I, I would have liked to have gotten a shot to see him do the agility stuff. That That's the one sort of not question I have about him, but I, I was curious about it. But I'm not curious at all about the straight line speed. I know that he's fast in a straight line. I know he can get downfield and I know he can get off the off of the line. So I, I don't have any concerns about that whatsoever. All right. Another takeaway from your mock draft is no running backs went in the first round. We talked about that with Jay. Um, the first one off the board for you was Brees Hall going 37th to, to the Texans. Uh, Thor, you know, big picture. Do you think we're going to look back and say that someone got great value on Brees Hall in the second round? Him and Kenneth Walker. Yeah, I, I think both those guys. I, I don't think a, a running back is going to go in the first round, but I, I think both Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker are going to have great careers. I think both those guys are going to be really good for fantasy owners, too. Yeah, I think like it would be tough to see uh, Brees Hall in terms of anyone playing for the Texans is just going to like there's only so much you can do on that team. But he should and probably will get every single touch on that team because we talk about, uh, you know, the Falcons receiver core. The, the Texans running back room is just as truly <laughs> abysmal. I mean, like right now, it's like Rex Burkhead doing the time to an extension after he rumbled for like 3.6 yards per carry to like yeah. 400 some odd yards. Royce Freeman, Dario Gunwale, Marlon Mack. It's other teams outcast by a country mile. Therefore, those four running backs have combined for 1,300 rushing yards over the past two seasons. All of them, four players. They're all backup caliber running backs, and some of them have like some utility, right? Like Rex Burkhead is not a great runner or a great pass catcher, but he can do both well enough to sell that you can do both on any given play. Dario Gumbawale, good on special teams, can catch passes, but like these are not guys who should get more than like 80 touches in a season. Brees Hall would come in and just get, and it would be Najee Harris. It'd be exactly the Najee Harris thing, probably mm-hmm. on a worse offense, but overall we love Najee Harris coming into the NFL because yeah, sure, the offensive line was going to be great. Ben Rausberger, pretty decrepit. But targets and carries, and there were going to be a lot of them, and you can say that exact same thing about Brees Hall, assuming he would go to the Texans. I think there are other spots that would just be similar. Not great teams, but touches, and that's really important for fantasy, obviously. And and just speaking to that landing spot in my mock, I I have those two guys, uh, Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall, very close in my rankings. But I think for the Texans, I think that they would prioritize Brees Hall over Kenneth Walker. I think he would be a better fit for them because he's a better guy on, on passing downs. And he, you know, the, the Texans, he's a guy that would really help out Davis Mills. He's a guy that you could give a ton of touches to in year one. Uh, same reason that Kyle's talking about there. You know, I mean, you can give him just so many touches. going to help out your offense a lot in year one. Thor, is there like, I, I, I think this it's a like a kind of a dumb question to ask, but like, do we have any chance at seeing Kenneth Walker like really evolve into not a great pass catcher, not the route runner, not the guy who every offseason is like, oh, he could line up in the slot or whatever, but like, is there some hope for development? And I only ask that because obviously his, his college pass catching stats are, are hardly even on, on the stat sheets, right? But we see this so often where predicting which running backs at the college level are going to evolve mm-hmm. into pass catchers is really difficult. So many players don't catch passes at all in college and just turn out to be really good, adequate pass catchers. And I think a lot of the times it's the guys who just profile as good running backs, even if it's not as pass catchers, because the skills that it requires to break tackles, make long runs, probably translate somewhat well to doing the same thing, just catching it on the screen. So I know his stats weren't great, but like I think the Bills is is an interesting spot, right? Because we think they want the pass. They tried to get J.D. McKissick. They brought in Duke Johnson. Kenneth Walker doesn't fit that, but he fits the explosive runner half of what I think they want. Is there any chance he could just be like a, a 
decent pass catching compliment. Doesn't have to be the lead guy. Yeah, it's it's a it's a two part answer. the The first one is it, after I saw Leonard Fournette catch seventy balls that one season, I ain't yeah. putting it by anyone ever with that. So yes, I mean, you know, at least as a dump off guy. Yes, that could absolutely happen. I, I don't think Kenneth Walker will ever become a, a pass blocker. You know, that's he makes business decisions in, in that area of the game. But I, I think Respect. he could, could, could become a, a dump-off guy for sure. And then as far as the fit with him on the Bills, I think that is an absolutely perfect fit, Kenneth Walker with the Bills. The Bills have, have looked for in their running backs guys that break tackles. Uh, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, when they were coming out, they led the nation in broken tackles for running backs. What did Kenneth Walker do last year? He led the nation in broken tackles Mm -hmm. for running backs. I think that's a guy that Brandon Bean is going to love. I I think that's a great fit there, absolutely. All right, moving ahead. We know the Packers need wide receiver help, obviously, after losing Devontae Adams. Thor, you've got them taking cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. at 22, their first first first-round pick. By the way, and for what it's worth, the over-under on his draft position at points bet, last I checked, was 9.5. So you've got Stingley also going later than maybe the consensus. So talk us through your thoughts on this one. So I I will have Stingley going higher in my next version, but I I will still be betting the over on that that Stingley 9.5 for whatever it's worth. Um, I, I think Stingley's going to be going more like 12, 13, you know, s- sort of range like like, like in there. I, I don't buy the steam of him going, you know, Jay was mentioning, you know, three, you know, the, uh, in, in the, t- you know, five, six, seven, you know, potentially, you know, if, if that happened. Mm-hmm. I, I just think there's too many questions about his evaluation. You know, it's, it's a quasi-unprecedented profile for uh, certainly a top 15 cornerback you know it's a guy who had one good season in college that was in 2019 as a true freshman one out of good three seasons he was playing for the best team in you know in modern college football history back then um and and now he has a Liz Frank injury so I you know for, for me there's just too many question marks there and then mm-hmm. of course Sauce Gardner he's just a superior prospect in the same position yeah, how do you like like this is just a, a pure football prospecting question, but how do you process the fact that Stingley's 2019, right, three years ago now was, I mean, by all accounts, like one of the best defensive seasons we've seen from a prospect in this coming class, but it was so long ago. He has been yeah. good since then, but injured and not you know, that elite level. I think PFF had him as their number one most valuable defensive player in that season. And when I think about prospecting, this isn't probably true of every position, but I think of like an athletic, you know, skills-based position, facing wide receiver is probably where I make the connection. But as cornerback, I think of age-adjusted production or shutting down opponent production as something that probably has a very big impact on predicting success. And then it's just trickled away ever since that 2019 season. How do you, you evaluate the the enormity of that first season with the so-so and injury riddled next parts of it as well you have to consider all data in an evaluation right so so you have to consider that and, and that gets that gets a it, it definitely gets an enormous amount of weight in there but you also have to put weight on the fact that he wasn't good the next season in 2020 as a sophomore they had all kinds of coverage breakdowns you remember kj costello he broke the sec record for passing yards in week one of 2020 and then you know lsu was getting ripped up passing the rest of that season and then in in, in 2021 uh, you know then he, he he tore the foot ligament uh, right away and, and missed the rest of the season. And then, you know, you, now he got the Liz Frank injury. So then you have the durability questions as well. You know that his evaluation is heavily based on athleticism and footwork, which, you, I mean, you know that he, he has, you know, the athleticism and, and his size-adjusted athletic, athletic profile, that's something that that speaks for him. It's a it's a positive of, of, of his uh, 
a profile. But the fact that he has the durability questions, that's a question mark with it. So it's it, you have the positives on the one side, the negatives on the other side. You got to weigh both things. My only thing with it is because of the question marks on the other side, I'm not putting them in the top 10 personally. Yeah, I get that. I will follow up with this. Uh, you have, so you have obviously Green Bay using their first of their two first round picks on cornerback on one who is falling. And like you said, is potentially a top 10 pick. Only one receiver in your mock goes between their first and their second. And then they end up taking Christian Watson on the board at the time, at the time, as if it's like a real time and place at the time of your <laughs> number 28 pick in the mock. Watson, then Traylon Burks, just looking at receivers. Then you maybe take by some people would probably say you take a teardrop. Then you get like Sky Moore and Jahan Dotson, who you have in the second round. How did you pair up their 28 receiver pick and the fact that they didn't take one at uh, 20 or 22, whatever that first pick was? How did you pair up Watson with that team as opposed to a Sky Moore? Or I think Traylon Burks kind of be the obvious one. People would say it would have been him if not Watson in your mock. Yeah, well, so with with Green Bay, I mean, they're a team that, that will take the, the guy that's dropping. So that 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 was sort of the thing with, with Stingley with with the first one and sort of uh, deferring the the wide receiver pick till the the mm-hmm. second uh, one. And then as far as Watson with them, I think that's a really good fit of prospect and team. Watson's a guy who who fits the prototype of what they're always looking for in a receiver. It's like he came off the line at the factory built as a Green Bay Packer receiver. <laughs> he, he's the long outside, well-built guy who runs in the four threes, the pop, the top guy who blocks his butt off, right? He, he He's like uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling plus plus. That, that, that's what you get from him. Plus you get the utility where he does the end around stuff and you can bring him into the backfield and hand the ball off to him. The other thing I like about him is he showed in Mobile that he can run the other routes, like in the intermediate area, win in the intermediate area. We didn't see that as much at NDSU, but he showed in Mobile that he could do that stuff as well. So I, I think he showed you a fleshed out part of his game as well. And the good news is, you know, I, I said Traylon Burks. I said Traylon Burks, like, as the other guy. And as, like, you know, me, Karain, you know, probably any of us who are in, like, the Dynasty side of things and our nerds as well, uh, we love Traylon Burks, right? And I'm like, ah, oh, I want to see Traylon Burks go as high as possible. Then you just knock him down to the Chiefs. I'm like, oh, 30 is perfect. 30 is, you want, you don't want a top 10 receiver, right? You don't want top 15. You want him 30 because he goes to the freaking Chiefs. So that's that was just as exciting for me. And I, I hope that part of the mock falls falls that way. My, my concern about Traylon Burks is he's a manufactured touch guy in college that wasn't specific to one position. You know, they, they moved him around. They forced all these touches to him within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And then he didn't test super well. You know, he, he was physically imposing against the guys that, that he was winning against. It, it starts to remind you a lot of, of LaVisca Chanel. Don't say I, it. No, I, I, I knew I'm, it. I'm, I'm stealing the, this. It's too I'm easy. I'm stealing it's this take from, from Scott Barrett on, on Twitter. But it is like so accurate, unfortunately, like in the, the three really lines is. they have. It, it, it really is. And it's yeah, it, it, it's really, really scary because it's you saw LaVisca win so much in the exact same way as a Colorado and, and, you know, moving him around the formation, forcing the ball to him, you know, sideline to sideline, putting him in the slot forcing the ball to him there, bringing him into the backfield, forcing the ball there. Those are my concerns with him. We haven't seen LaVisca Chenault just staying on the outside in the boundary and then beating guys off the line consistently and then winning downfield. When he starts to do that in the NFL, it'll be the first time we've seen LaVisca Chenault struggle to do that so far. I, I, I'm still hoping for LaVisca Chenault that it happens for him. You know, I, I'm still on the LaVisca train. Um, but we'll see if, you know, for, for Traylon, if it happens, but it's, he, he's got a longer road, I think, than people think. 
Yeah, every like just aspect of his game that you describe and every way you describe his profile and the things he did in college and how he won, they are the same things we use to describe uh, LaVisca Chenault. I think he's a better version of that, but that's scary when you just talk about the archetype of the guy who's manufactured all these different ways to win but didn't win as a traditional player. It is at a minimum scary, even if statistically that's where his profile it, it looks really good because he got the ball a ton. That's not the same way that the NFL works. And LaVisca is showing it so well, like hardly being able to get on the field last year, really being like a rotational player, which is unfortunate for how much they spent on him. Even to the point where they like, we're talking about like trade discussions for him. They would have sold him at such a loss if they had ended up trading him. Maybe they still do. So I, yeah, I agree with you that like the, the red flags are very much there, even if just like, you know, the dominating, the breakout age, the traditional spreadsheet numbers say he does have a lot of, big pluses on his profile he probably has so many more red flags and i'd be comfortable admitting yeah and, and you just think about the packers the way that they use their receivers i i just don't think they would be attracted to burks i was really surprised when they took amari rogers last year because he was a guy that only wins close to the line of scrimmage you know manufactured touch sort of a thing i i just don't think with with i, I just don't think they would be attracted to burks i'd be surprised if they took burks but we'll see we heard a comparison a minute ago we didn't want to hear uh, between LaVisca Chenault and Traylon Burks. I want to backtrack to a previous comparison that I, I know gave me a little bit of pause when you talked about Christian Watson in the same breath as Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Thor, you, you kind of started to talk about this a little bit with Christian Watson's you know ability to run intermediate routes, but do you think he has a path to being more than, you know let's say he does end up on the Packers, the random deep shot guy, especially for fantasy managers who are thinking about this guy's skill set and then think about that destination? I sure do. Yeah, I, I sure do. Yeah. But, but between uh, p- running utility, the, the end around game, he's spectacular uh, rushing game, bringing him into the backfield. And then again, at, at NDSU, they just because of the constitution of the offense, they didn't use him in the intermediate game as much as he could have been used. But down in Mobile, he showed that he could do that stuff, the diversification of his route tree. I, I think he can win that way. Just because he wasn't used that way at NDSU doesn't mean that he can't do that stuff. He showed that he could do that stuff, you know, at, at the senior bowl. So I, I think he can he can win in those ways as well. Yes. All right. Takeaway number five we wanted to hit from your mock. This is back to the quarterbacks. In that mock draft, you had Carolina and Pittsburgh theoretically solving their quarterback problems with the Panthers taking Matt Corral six, Steelers taking Desmond Ritter at 20. Now, we know that Malik Willis becomes a variable in this now if you're not projecting him to go to the Lions. But let's talk about those two guys in particular, Corral and Ritter. What's your near-term outlook on these guys? And, And can you imagine either one making a fantasy impact in year one at some point? Corral... I would wait up to start him initially, but I think long-term for me, for dynasty guys, he's the guy that I would put number two to Malik Willis. He's the only other guy in the class that I think has a top 10 NFL starter ceiling. If he hits it, he he has a juiced up arm and he also has a dual threat element to his game. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like Matt Corral a lot. Um, I think the NFL is, is sleeping on him a little bit, but, but we'll end up seeing if, if he goes a little bit higher than, than people are anticipating his pre-draft process started a little bit lower. So he just hasn't gotten as much chatter as some of the other guys. So I think he, he could end up getting picked a little bit higher than, than people are anticipating, but I, I, I like him a lot. Did you Ritter was the other guy? Was that who you're asking? Ritter, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. R- Ritter, um, I, I think people can think about him exactly like they think about Marcus Mariota. I, I call him mainland Mariota. I, I think pe- <laughs> I, I think people would think about them exactly the same if they had played in the exact same college offense. It's just they played in basically the opposite one, so they don't. Mariota played in that breakneck Oregon offense, and, and, mm-hmm. and Ritter played in more of a – uh, you know, the, uh, more of a risk averse one with Fickle, where where they were trying, you know, not to turn the ball over stuff like that. But they they have the, basically the exact same frame. They tested the same athletically. Um, he, Ritter's going to steal yards for you as a runner. Um, he's not super duper agile, but the the straight line speed is very very good. So he he can steal ten yards really really quick, and he can push the ball down the field a little bit as well. I I have him quarterback three. I I think he's going to start for a little while in the NFL. I think he could probably start immediately if you needed him to. I I, I think you know even even probably quicker than than Matt Corral. I, I think he could probably offer that to you. I don't think he has quite the ceiling that Matt Corral does. He certainly does not have the ceiling that Malik Willis does, but I think he could step in quicker than, than, than at least than Corral could. Yeah. So you, you have a uh, Corral at eight or as at six, right? Two Panthers. How'd you get to Corral over Pickett? And I assume this was just like, if Malik Willis, now we talked about them, the Lions, not really maybe taking Malik Willis, at least it changed the calculus a little bit. I assume if you were then to slot in, which I think you will, your next one, Hutchinson at two, are you putting uh, Malik Willis to the Panthers then? And how does that shake up? Like, where do the dominoes fall after that, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll probably end up having a quarterback to the Panthers. Yeah. And then... And um, is it Malik Willis for sure? Assuming there's not really, unless it's a trade-up, one through five. Those teams are all... At least they are trying to be set at quarterback already. So is it for sure still Malik Willis as the number one quarterback? Let's just say uh, in the next 24, uh, 48, 36 hours or so, I will be sending lots of DMs and text messages. So so stay tuned on that. We'll see how much information I can get back on that. But yeah, I mean, the the, the quarterback thing, it's it's the, the true unknown in this class, right? Like people, it's been the whole time. There, there's been this like eerie silence on the Western front with all of it, you know, there's been an eerie silence. People haven't wanted to put their cards out with any of them. So it's outside of the Steelers with Malik Willis. We know that the Steelers are fawning over Malik Willis. Yeah, but (laughs) with with the rest of them, it's it's hard to say. I have a supposition that that the that the Saints are going to take a quarterback too, because I don't know why you would you would make a draft pick trade that you know, that far in advance of the, the draft for a first round pick, if you weren't going to take a quarterback with a need like that, but I don't know who their specific target would be. So it's, it, you know, it, it's hard to piece that together. So, you know, in some ways with the mock, you, you're just sort of, um, you know, this season in particular, you're, you're working on incomplete information. And then, you know, this, this 11th hour stuff, you're going to be trying to, to parse together whatever, whatever information you can, you know, at the, at the last second. Yeah, when we did our mock draft live uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, me and Tyler, uh, it was just like trying to piece it together myself. I didn't have, you know, Pittsburgh. I know some players are, you know, more likely to go to some teams. Like we see a lot of Minnesota distinctly hype, but I found myself like, oh, I guess I also kind of believe that Kyle Hamilton will maybe fall out of the top 10. Not because I don't think he's a top 10 player, but I had slotted in tackles and corners through the top eight or nine, and I just didn't find him making it. And then receivers, 10-11, I believe, are both good receivers spots with Jets Washington if I have their numbers correct so you just find yourself sort of piecing the puzzle together as you go along not necessarily saying like well I have to find a spot for Kyle Hamilton or I have to find a spot for Malik Willis top six if that's not how the cards fall and we're just doing our best to sort of predict how they will 
I find my mock drafts and our mock draft that we did live just working itself out, not me trying to work it out so vigorously. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, you, you know, you get new information every day, right? Like, I mean, up until last night, I would have, I was convinced that Aiden Hutchinson was going to go number one, but then all of a sudden last night, now I'm convinced the other way. I'm convinced <laughs> that Aiden Hutchinson is not going to go number one. So it's, you know, every day you get new information, every hour you get new information and then it, it causes you to change things. And then as you guys know, when one slot changes, it's like butterfly effect. Yeah. Everything changes after that. It, it, the, the whole thing changes. I, Peter King's mock draft came out yesterday and, and Peter King and, and his thing, it's really interesting because he puts so much information into each slot when he when he's writing it. And so he, he was putting all sorts of interesting tidbits. And there, there's other mock drafts out there where people are, you know, the, the beat writers for each team. You know, I, I'm always reading the different beat writers because they have really interesting tidbits on, on what their teams are targeting. So there's going to be a lot of a lot of research here in the next couple of days trying to put this stuff together. By the way, producer Adam tells me Peter King was on Bet the Edge this morning with Sarah Perlman and Drew Dinsick. You can check that out in the Bet the Edge podcast feed if you want to hear him there. And with all of this mind, all of this in mind, all of these things changing, you want to keep it tuned to the NBC Sports Edge Player News page powered by Roto World throughout the week. Before we go, Thor, you're going to be dropping one more mock before Thursday. Do I have that right? Yes, sir. On Wednesday, my final mock draft. Okay. Okay, look out for that on Thursday. On Wednesday, I said, I, I listened. Kyle, do you have anything to promote before we go? <laughs> Today, as a, as in Monday, me and Tyler had the second to last of the team needs and best prospect fit series come out, and the other one will drop on Tuesday. So probably by the time most people are listening to this, and that's the end. That's the wrap of all that. So you can find out which teams are eyeing specifically which players. And I think as we get into these final few days, hopefully we can uh, help with like some good betting tidbits too, trying to find the best sort of uh, player fits for each team. Matt, I got I got one other plug. Let's do it. I'm dropping the Thor 500 in about uh, two hours here. Oh wow. 500 player big board with 500 comps. You better start on that then. You only got Yeah, you better get going for. Yeah, seriously. It's all we are we we are well on the way. He's like, I've got the top five dialed in, so uh, should be fine. Should be fine. Uh, All right. That is going to do it for us on this episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review our show as well. We would appreciate that. We are back on Tuesday and Thursday of this week, including, as I mentioned, live after round one of the draft on Thursday night. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live. Thanks to Jay Croucher for joining us. And Thor, Kyle, thanks to both of you. I will talk to you soon.